everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, it is my privilege with my wife, Christy, here, and then I have my three kids as well, uh, who were all a part of the church plant ride with us. Ruth just turned 16, Zach's almost 14, and Katie Rose is 12. And I do bring greetings from Pastor Brian and Siobhan and all of our Bethel Cincinnati team, uh, just down, not too far, actually, on 74. So today is a race day, and we left really early this morning to get here because we weren't sure how many folks would be racing to the track, but thankfully, we avoided too much traffic or My student driver was still driving, and she was going the speed limit, and she was quite traumatized by people passing really fast on the way here. But it is an honor to preach out of Philippians today, too. Uh, So last week, Pastor John started a new series out of the book of Philippians, and I get to take us to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So uh, I'm just going to focus on the first three verses. Uh, If you brought your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can look on the screens, and I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible, starting in verse 12. This is Paul speaking. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I've titled this message, In Chains for the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we can hear stories from around the world, but we also have testimony in Scripture, God, of people who have gone before us, who have preached this word, God, who have lived life together in community and in spiritual family. God, thank you uh, for the church in Philippians, God, that that is written to in that city, God, that Paul has gone to. Lord, I pray that you would teach us today. God, open our ears to hear you speak, open our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for those who didn't come last week, um, a, little, a little context of what this book is about. Paul wrote this book after going on his first missionary journey to the city of Philippi in about 50 AD. You can read about that more in Acts chapter 16. Do we have a picture, uh, a map? Uh, so this is, uh, Philippi was actually in the northern Aegean Sea, there on the northeast side of what is today modern-day Greece, near Turkey, and he has been traveling over land uh, from uh, the Holy Land on the eastern Mediterranean and ended up stopping in Philippi along the way and ended up preaching the gospel there, and some folks got born again, and a church was born. Then a few years later, he came back, five years on a second missionary journey, and then approximately somewhere around 60 AD, scholars are a little bit confused, and sometimes we're not exactly sure where Paul wrote this letter from, but as we could see, he said he was in chains. He was in prison. So this is one of the letters known as the prison epistles. Paul wrote this from prison, and he was not imprisoned once. He was imprisoned multiple times, and so it could have been in several locations, but the scholars, most of them think it was probably from Rome when Paul was in prison there that he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And so we pick up again in verse 12 when he said, you know, what has happened to me, his persecution, his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. So literally, Paul is in chains. That's not a metaphor. 
That's not just a nice picture. Oh, he just, you know, using, no. He's literally chained to a Roman centurion. Now, that's pretty serious, right? So you only chain up people who are really either hardened criminals or scary kind of folks, but was that who this guy Paul was? Well, the fact is that he was locked up not because he was a murderer, though he did, you know, religiously persecute people, but he was chained up for this thing called the gospel. You heard Pastor Luis talk about the gospel, the good news before. Maybe you're relatively new to Christianity, but uh, the founder, one of our founders of our Every Nation uh, family of churches and ministries, he defined the gospel this way, and his name is Dr. Rice Brooks. Maybe you've done the Purple Book or heard us talk about that. He helped write that. But here's how he defined the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. But three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the Son of God and offering the free gift of salvation to anyone who would repent and believe the gospel. That's a nice summary of a lot of the New Testament and the life of Jesus. But that's what Paul was chained up for, this idea of a risen Savior. Now, how is that idea dangerous? I mean, are there, are there ideas today that you can say that can get you thrown in prison? Well, maybe not a lot here in the States, but definitely around the world, you can do that. But what was so dangerous 2,000 years ago when Paul was preaching? Well, his message was a danger to the Jewish religious leaders of his day, where he came from in Israel. See, their power, the structure, their social order was threatened with what Jesus represented and what he did. But even greater, this message, it was a danger to the Roman Empire itself. See, if you studied history at all, you know that back in the day, Caesar was considered not just the ruler, but he was considered a god. And in fact, one of the, the mantras that they would have to say throughout the Roman Empire was, Caesar is Lord. When he would come to town, everyone would cry out, Caesar is Lord. So the fact that Paul preached, no, Jesus is Lord. Somehow, that's a problem. Because you see, there can't be more than one Lord. See, there is a Lord of Lords and a King of Kings. And Paul was saying here, it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. And that is a huge issue in the power of the day. That idea is dangerous to the social order. And that is what got Paul chained multiple times to Roman guard. That exclusivity claim that said, Jesus is Lord, must be silenced. And so persecution was one of the ways that the authorities tried to do that. That leads me to the first of my three points from this passage today. Persecution for the gospel is real. Now, Paul experienced, yes, the hope and the joy of knowing Jesus and the transformation it brought in his heart. But that same message also caused him to experience great physical suffering. Now, was that kind of persecution that involved Paul being scourged and whipped, Christians being crucified, fed to the lions, all kinds of things? Was that kind of persecution only 2,000 years ago? No, unfortunately, that kind of persecution exists today. 
in 2018. Now, it may not exist quite in the same way here in the States, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I want to give you a few statistics that I found, came across looking up this message from around the world. These are some stats from a group called Open Doors, who categorizes and catalogs persecution of Christians throughout the world. And here's some kind of scary statistics. They say there's approximately 215 million Christians worldwide who experience high, very high, or extreme levels of persecution today. Can you guess which country in the world is listed as the most uh, extreme as far as the persecution of Christians? Someone in the news lately a lot, North Korea. In fact, it's topped the list for the last 14 years. Islamic extremism actually remains the global dominant driver of persecution. 35 of the top 50 countries where Christians are persecuted you know, are Islamic countries where they oppress Christians in a pretty severe way. Some of the newer conflicts around the world, especially in Southeast Asia, ethnic nationalism amongst some of the Hindus and the Buddhists are persecuting Christians and other religious minorities in their countries. And then a little bit closer to home here in the Western Hemisphere, recently 23 Christian leaders were killed in Mexico and four in Colombia just in 2017 for their faith. Now, has anyone here experienced physical harm or that kind of persecution for the gospel? No, I didn't think so. Here in America, we're pretty sheltered and isolated compared to many of our brothers and sisters around the world. But how many of you know that persecution isn't just physical? I'll come back to that in a second. You met Pastor Luis and some of the folks here from our Everdation Church in Lima. I wanted to introduce you to a couple people that, not physically here, but a couple names. I can't show pictures because of some of the sensitivity of what they're doing. But uh, there's a gentleman that now lives in Nashville. We'll call him Pastor Mark. He grew up as a Muslim in Iran, but he got really jaded with um, Islam and he became an atheist. He moved away to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And he was working there in business where he met some Christians uh, who were kind of underground in their faith and they shared the gospel with him and it transformed his life. The fact is he went back to Iran and he began to preach the gospel. He wasn't a trained pastor, but he took the passion of what Jesus had done in his life and he went back there and he began to tell his neighbors and friends about Jesus. And turns out, folks started getting saved. In fact, there was no churches around to, to baptize them in a baptistry. So where did he take them? Well, the Persian Gulf, just right there. And so they would have baptismal services on the beach in the Persian Gulf. Not the most private of places. And in fact, they really didn't care. Well, guess what? That was a pretty prominent thing to happen. And so he ended up being thrown in prison. And he was tortured and beaten and told to recant his apostasy. But he wouldn't do it. Now, I'd ask him to share some of the things he experienced, but it's still too painful. He can't even talk about what happened to him. But a year later, he was sentenced to death for apostasy, um, for believing in Jesus. And he went through the court systems, and he made it to the highest court in the land um, on appeal. And in that, they gave him an opportunity to recant, to deny Jesus. And he said, I can't do it. I cannot deny Jesus. And somehow in that, the judge heard him say, that he believed in one God, which they thought meant Allah, but he was talking about Jesus, and somehow they let him go. Now, we've been praying for years to get him out of prison. Now, what happens when Christians like this get released? The courts may release them, but there are death squads that hunt them down. That way, the blood's not on the hands of the regime in power, 
but that how, that's how they deal with that kind of problem. And so he was hidden away, and somehow through a Scandinavian diplomat, he was able to be secreted out of the country to safety, kind of like Paul when he was escaping from the mob and he was lowered in a basket over the wall. That one mission. Pastor Mark today has a thriving ministry to Muslim refugees, mostly in Europe, where he travels, especially Syrian refugees, and people are meeting Jesus in Europe as they've been driven from their homeland. Mark has experienced real persecution for the gospel. Another, one of our Every Nation pastors, his name is Pastor Shadanke. That's his real name. He's from the nation of Sierra Leone. We have some local Indianapolis folks here. Bo Wilfong and his wife are here, and they have been to Sierra Leone as well. Pastor Shadanke, I met him almost 20 years ago when he was in Nashville right after the the Sierra Leonean Civil War ended. See, Pastor Shadanke had been planting churches throughout that country. It was a majority Muslim country at the time, and he was preaching the gospel and seeing churches planted amongst Muslim groups and indigenous tribal religions. And the war, when the war started, if you had any means to get out of the country, most people fled. But Pastor Shadanke, he wouldn't leave because his people were still there. In fact, the whole country was in such dire straits that Pastor Shadanke shared one story how he would come on trips like here to the States or get money sent in but there was no banking system. There was no power. There was, the infrastructure was so broken in the country. The way he would get money to help feed some of these churches was he would take wads of cash and stuff them in his underwear, and then he would travel through the bush to hand deliver these finances to the people. And one time, he was caught in the bush by a rebel patrol, and they didn't like people who were helping out. They didn't like Christians, um, and they stuck a gun to his head, and they told him, you know, so you believe in Jesus, huh? Let's see today if you still believe. And they tried to make him deny Jesus. And he describes to me with a gun to his head, staring the soldier in the eye and saying, I know my Jesus, and I know what happens to me after I die, and I'm prepared to meet him today. Are you prepared to meet your maker if he were to strike you down right now? And you know what happened? That soldier dropped his gun, and the whole crew ran away. And he was able to make it through one story after another of standing up for the gospel. And those church members had food to eat and to survive another day because of that man's bravery and willingness to risk his own life for the gospel. Now, talk about humbling. (laughs) When I do mission trips around the world, I go and I realize if I get to serve men and women of God like that, their crowns in heaven someday are going to be a whole lot bigger than mine. And that's we in America are privileged in so many ways that we get a chance to, to have witnesses like that, not just written in the Bible verses from 2,000 years ago, but today there are modern-day heroes throughout the world standing up for this thing called the gospel. But what about you? Do we face persecution for the faith even today? I mean, the persecution is real. This gospel is still a threat to the principalities and the powers that exist out there. But the kind of persecution we experience more today in America is a little more psychological or maybe social pressure. I was telling my kids just the other day about me when I was in college and my first year away from home, having grown up in the church and, you know, I kind of had my first real girlfriend, but she didn't keep me around very long, and so she dumped me, and I decided to join a fraternity instead in my grievingness. Now, maybe not the best of choices at the time, but 
took me about six months of kind of, you know, deciding to put God in the back burner for a little while until, you know, I kind of had my little come to Jesus moment again. And I realized, oh my goodness, this fraternity is not having a good influence on me. And I'm like, God, I need to get out of here. And God said, actually, you know, you kind of got into this for the wrong reasons, but you know what? I'm going to use you now where you are. Well, guess what? The fraternity guys didn't like the fact that there was a killjoy at the party or somebody else who, you know, I got labeled the Jesus freak in the fraternity. Now, do you think that made me feel good being called that? It was a little bit traumatizing and I had to kind of question, wow, I'm no longer fun to be around. Will anybody listen to me? Well, it turns out my best buddy in there, I kept praying for him and he ended up repenting, getting right with Jesus. And when it was two, well, we started a Bible study in the fraternity house. Every week we would invite the whole fraternity. And guess what? That first week we were prepared. How many folks came? Zero. <laughs> How about week two? Zero. That whole next year, every week, inviting guys, talking about Jesus, no one ever came. But a funny thing started happening, though, after that first year. As I would not party with them on, at the parties, but I stuck around and ended up being the nursemaid or the designated driver or the guy that was cleaning up people who were, you know, in their mess and everything else. When somebody's girlfriend broke up with him, you know whose door they came knocking on at three in the morning crying? The Jesus freak. <laughs> when somebody would, you know, life was falling apart back home or something happened, guys who never talked to me would suddenly come to me. And it was amazing what God began to do as a couple guys stood in the midst of, now that was pretty minor persecution, but they weren't happy. Their lifestyle was being exposed. But you know what? There was a little light shining after a while. Has anyone ever called you narrow-minded as a Christian? Maybe they've called you intolerant. My youngest, she just finished up a, a world religion um, block in social studies class and they had to visit a mosque and visit um, a Hindu temple, you know, and, you know, the, the claims in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. If you actually believe that, people might label you as closed-minded. Maybe a religious bigot ever heard that thrown around? Or maybe you're Islamophobic or something else. But that's what Jesus said about himself. Now, that's low-level persecution. But you know what? Even today, persecution like that can produce one of two main responses in us. The first, I think, persecution can produce fear. When you hear statistics about Christians being killed around the world or tortured, that produces a natural response, at least in me. That kind of, anyone ever heard of the fight or flight response? Fear is a healthy defense mechanism if you're running from a bear, right? Adrenaline kicks in, boom, get out or fight that thing right now. But is that the kind of response that we're supposed to live in? In that constant being afraid, anxious, stirred up because of what someone might say about us? Fear of your reputation taking a hit? Someone not inviting you to the latest party or the cool kids club? Let me contrast that 
with some of the early church experience. In Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1, this is the same Paul that's riding chained to a Roman guard. At the time, his name was Saul. And it says this in verse 1, And Saul approved of their killing him. Speaking of Stephen, the martyr. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And then again, a couple of chapters later in Acts eleven nineteen, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. <laughs> you would think that fledgling church would have, when many of their friends were dragged off to prison, would have gone underground, right? Gone into hiding. But that's not what they did. They began to preach the word, to spread the gospel wherever they went. That's incredible. See, they had the opposite response. Rather than persecution producing fear in their hearts, persecution can produce faith. And that's what I want to focus the end of my message on here. What did Paul and those early Christians, what did they know? What changed in them that produced great boldness when persecution came? Well, maybe they were there on the day when Jesus preached his famous Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus himself said this in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This idea of a reward in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, that being a part of what my inheritance is. If I have that kind of a view, that kind of a picture, a heavenly mindset, or a mentality that goes beyond just the momentary tribulations of the day, I can stand up against anything that may come at me in this life. Or how about Paul? After he met Jesus, he told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I mean, there is something that is just the complete opposite of our natural response here. How can you say, Paul, that when I'm weak, I'm strong? How can you delight in things that hurt you? See, the gospel, when you really understand the good news, when you really understand that Jesus Christ lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died in my place, when I understand the fact that I can't do enough good things to ever earn God's favor, but he chooses to love me anyway, that he died on that cross taking my punishment, and he gives me a free gift of salvation if I just stop trying to trust in myself and trust in him, when the truth of that gets in you, when the truth of that, it will free you. We spoke earlier about chains falling off. Many of us aren't literally chained like Paul, but many of you, even in this room, are chained by fear, chained by others' impressions of you, chained by anxiety and worry. Many of that manifests as a doctor. I see it all the time in all kinds of physical ailments, 
eating disorders, GI distress, ulcers, heart attacks, mental illness, all kinds of things. And yet, when the good news of this gospel grabs a hold of you, and I stop striving, trying to be good enough for God to love me, it is freeing. And I can get a whole other perspective on the world, a whole other perspective on my work colleague who just annoys the you-know-what out of me and is always on my case, but I can love them in the midst of their mistreating me. I can bless those who curse me because you know what? I cursed God, and yet he chose to come and die for me in the midst of that. And all of the things that happened to me suddenly don't seem quite so bad. I have a little bit of a joke. You may have heard this before. My oldest, she and I went to Baja on a mission trip a couple years ago with our Every Nation Baja youth trip. And I'm a firm believer that every teenager in America needs to go to a developing country at some point and just get a perspective on the problems they think they have. Came back and we talk a lot about first world problems versus real problems. Oh, my phone's out of charge. That's a first world problem. <laughs> that is not persecution. That is not a real problem, right? And yet, the problem of somebody always on my back at work, I, they may have real problems. I can bless them when they curse me. I can somehow pray for the person who is always treating me poorly when their relative is sick. I can still choose to bless rather than return in kind what they've done to me. It's interesting that uh, Pastor Luis earlier quoted Romans 1, because it's right here. Romans 1, verse 16. Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That gospel is the power of God for salvation. God's grace and forgiveness made Paul fearless. And then a little bit later, in Acts chapter 8, seen by many people as this is the pinnacle of the entire New Testament, when Paul describes the gospel in all of its greatness, everything before leading up to this great chapter, Paul mentions this in verse 18 of chapter 8. He says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The heavenly picture, the mindset that, listen, you know what? Whatever I'm going through now is temporary, but eternally with Jesus, the glory of God manifest in my life trumps anything else that can happen to me in this life. And even persecutions and the rest, he went on in verse 35 and he said this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. (laughs) If you think that things are bad in your life, this is what Paul said. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
See, when your perspective doesn't matter what's happening to you, when you know who this Jesus is and you have that heavenly perspective, it doesn't matter what the world throws at you because nothing, nothing can separate you as a child of the King from the love of your heavenly Father. As we close here, I want to challenge each of us here today. Examine yourself. If you're new here and you're still exploring these claims of Christianity, is this, what is this gospel? What is this good news? Well, we're glad you're here. <laughs> I encourage you, continue to ask those questions. Continue to explore what's so good about this good news. But maybe you call yourself already a follower of Jesus. Maybe you find yourself struggling with fear. Fear of the future, fear of another school shooting or letting your kids go to school, fear of someone not inviting you to something. God doesn't want us to live in fear. Instead, he wants us to operate in faith, to operate in boldness, to live our lives as a light in a city, shining for others to see. Earlier in Romans 8, Paul said this, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The reason we as children of God can operate in faith, not fear, is because when we're truly born again, he's not just God at Zeus on the hill with lightning bolts ready to strike us down when we screw up. No, he's Abba, Daddy, Papa. As a little kid running when Dad gets home. That's how God wants us to see him. And when I know that's who my Heavenly Father is, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the world throws at me, whether it's my reputation or my life, physically on the line for him. It produces faith. Can we stand to our feet? I want to pray for us. Let's close our eyes as we pray here. You know, if today this is all new to you and you say, listen, I need to know this Jesus more. I invite you today. Don't leave here without talking to somebody at City Central afterwards talking to one of the, the, the team here. We want to pray with you, help you understand what it means to truly follow Jesus. But maybe you're the second group I talked about, folks who are stuck in fear. Fear is, as my wife says, an acronym, false evidence appearing real. The reality is, no matter what you're facing, it's never as real as your mind makes it out to be. Or that the real devil out there, the enemy of your soul wants you to believe how tough it is and how bad it's going to be. God wants an impartation of faith today for you. If you say, listen, I need more faith. I want God to, to help me to deal with this fear. I want to reject the fear and instead I want a, a greater impartation of faith today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand as I pray for you today for more faith. God, you see these hands raised. God, I pray even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would meet them in their place of fear. And instead, right now, God, I pray that faith would rise up. 
Lord, that you would stir up faith in each of our hearts here in this church. God, that you would help us to be the kind of people that shines forth, God, even when it's dark around. Lord, that faith would rise up in our hearts with examples like Paul and Jesus himself dying on the cross. God, but other great heroes of the faith like Pastor Mark from Iran, Pastor Shadanke in Sierra Leone. God, heroes in this city that are trying to be hands and feet of Jesus, serving, reaching out, God, to the poor, reaching out to those who are in desperate need of hope. God, I pray that you would cause our hearts to be full of faith, to live for this gospel, to trust you in our daily interactions. Thank you, God, for dying for us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel and the fact that despite whatever persecution may come, we can live in faith, not in fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.